Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 91 for May the 18th, 2012. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Gary Kerhonen. Uh, Gary is a global escalation support engineer here in the Vancouver office. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you, Chester. It's great to be back. Back to a normal format chat chat. Uh, for some reason, there must not have been any security conferences this week to send me off to. And I'm back here in chat chat studio one. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you back here. I know you've been on the road for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's great to be back. And uh, we're going to get back into kind of the normal format. I picked out a few of the more interesting stories over the, the time that I've been away from doing the news. And I'm going to start out with, I thought this was uh, unfortunate and and interesting the the state of utah disclosed earlier last month that they had a data breach that about 780,000 records of people that uh uh used healthcare services in the state of utah were had their information stolen unfortunately over a quarter million of them had their social security numbers stolen and i guess the interesting part to this is one they seem to be handling it reasonably well two they're being open about kind of what happened and what they're going to do and what the impact might be on residents of the state of Utah. And I kind of, kind of wanted to applaud it a little bit. Obviously, you don't applaud somebody losing nearly a million people's private no, information. Yeah, I mean, this news is really sad, especially when you compare it to what happened like a year ago with Texas as well, too, because this is almost, it sounds exactly the same, what happened there with the the their breach, which has like 3.5 million users yeah, and it's almost yeah, you're right. It's almost identical because in Texas, they the, the there was a server. It was outside the firewalls. The data wasn't encrypted. Uh, you know, protocols and processes hadn't been followed, and nobody necessarily knew it was there. And you know, all the same kind of thing. And yeah, it's like a mirror image. And one of the things that concerned me most in the advice they were giving residents of Utah, though, uh, they are providing a year of credit protection services. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, this information I was reading, less than ten percent of folks that were uh, in the the victim group have so far taken advantage of that offer and they really should. I mean, if you have an incident where you know private details like this have been stolen and somebody gives you something for free to help you, um, you know, protect yourself, then you really want to take advantage of that. But what concerned me most was that the one of the um, government officials in Utah said, well, you know, after a year when this credit monitoring expires, it won't be a big deal because, you know, the information will be stale. And, uh, it, you know, at that point, people can go on with their regular lives. And, and you had some interesting feedback on that. And I, I think, you know, that that's... Yeah, I mean, you think about what actually happens with... Because, I mean, a social security number is with you for life. That's not something that goes stale at any point. Like, if you think about credit card numbers, they always have a built-in expiration date. And But otherwise, moving, I mean, addresses, a lot of people are basically have their house. They're not going to move specifically because of something like this. And then, yeah, SSN is, that's for life. That's something that will stick with you. Yeah, and I think maybe this user group in particular might be less prone to moving as well. It's a lot of Medicare and Medicaid recipients. Um, there are some other people that are mixed in with this that are not, you know, necessarily receiving public health in the U.S. But um, you know, Medicare and Medicaid folks are often poor and they don't have a lot of money. They're not necessarily mobile to be, uh, you know, buying nice new McMansions or anything. And uh, I, I guess to me, it points out that in a lot of people's eyes, you know, it's a one one thing fits all approach, uh, one size fits all kind of thing. And, you know, a data breach is a data breach. So here's what we say when there's a data breach, you know, after a year, everything will be fine. And, yeah. In this case, this is no, you think about what's actually happened in this case. And no, it's a year is not really enough at all. This, this should be something that if it's only 10% of people have sort of been notified or have been active about it, the rest definitely to mobilize. 
Yeah, and, and I did hear something about the state working with the federal government to maybe ease the restrictions on changing Social Security numbers. So if people do find themselves being victimized by fraud, they may be able to reach out to the state of Utah and have them work with the federal government to perhaps issue them a new Social Security number. I've not heard of a thing like that happening before, but it's, it is it is good news, I guess, if, someone turn, if it turns out that someone is being targeted. But if a lot of these folks are being targeted, this is a pretty big mess. This is, this is substantial. But uh, as you said, um, what they've done about announcing about how the breach happened as well too about you know publicizing about like how, where the location of the server was you know the default passwords and whatnot that's i mean they've been really forthcoming about how it happened so as you said this is sort of a, a good thing or at least a good positive spin on a bad news situation yeah openness is always a great start to anything and and it's one of the things that i love to pick on apple we'll talk about them a little bit more in a few minutes but i think it's an important security actually a lot of our stories today are about openness so we'll just move right on through them because i think there's a, a big theme there about even if you do screw up please for the you know for the love of God, let the rest of us learn from your mistakes so that another 780,000 or another 3.5 million or whatever it is don't have to be the next ones looking over their shoulder uh, with their credit problems. So um, point of note, an interesting story, I hadn't ever heard of something like this before, but there was a Facebook hacker in the United Kingdom that had been tracked down by the FBI and arrested uh, over there. Uh, It was actually sentenced to a year in prison for breaking into someone's Facebook account. That's crazy i've i mean it's a good thing but at the same time too that seems like very almost heavy-handed in a way but at the same time it's good i mean they caught someone but you kind of think how did it get to that level i mean what's what's sort of the fbi practices with regards to cases like this yeah it's very strange in my experience um you know the fbi typically doesn't investigate anything unless there's been a loss of at least a million dollars often even several million dollars before there's an active investigation so it's rather peculiar to think that one person's facebook being hacked a quote undisclosed american was what it said in the uh, story i read uh, was enough for the FBI to investigate, chase somebody across the ocean and have the UK police intervene and then prosecute. Very, very strange. You got to wonder if it was related to a politician or a celebrity of some sort. Like, Why would it get so much attention from the FBI? It's a very strange thing. Um, you know, w- what's next? Are they going to be investigating, uh, you know, little Bobby for breaking into his sister's diary? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. I yeah. mean, Facebook, yeah, it's very personal and private. Um, and a lot of people do maybe share a little too much publicly uh, this may be the only thing that's recorded on friday may 18th that doesn't mention the three letters that are related to facebook today but um <laughs> and i'm not going to be tempted nope um but this is very strange to think of an individual's facebook account being hacked and it resulting in a year in prison and that it was even investigated when we regularly see in the criminal underground tens of thousands of batches of facebook identities being traded and stolen and being used for all kinds of phishing and fraud and other things so and you think about other services as well too like twitter i mean twitter is something that passwords and accounts are compromised all the time is that could that get heavy-handed as well it's it's kind of an unknown thing here i wonder uh i wonder if the uh if the 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 criminal is going to sing when this is all over and explain what happened or what his side of the story was or who he hacked or yeah it's a rather strange thing but so you know side footnote if for folks that want to read more about it uh, graham wrote a story for us on naked security this week there's more details there uh apple released a flashback removal tool for os 10 leopard I wanted to just bring this up briefly to say, one, if you're still running Leopard or earlier and you're not uh, on a PowerPC platform, you probably should be upgraded to Snow Leopard Leopard or Lion. People still aren't realizing that older versions of OS X are no longer supported by Apple. This 
tool that Apple's released for Leopard does not fix the problem. It does not patch the vulnerability. It does not prevent your Mac from being victimized. It simply helps you clean up if you visit one of these poison pages that may try to inject malware into your Mac using this Java exploit. So, you know, PowerPC users, unfortunately, are kind of stuck. They can't really get, I don't believe they can get beyond Leopard. Um, but Intel users should definitely make sure they're running Snow Leopard or Lion. And of course, everyone on a Mac, but especially those that can't patch that may be stuck on Leopard and earlier, uh, should look at perhaps using something like the free Sophos Mac, uh, Sophos Antivirus for Mac Home Edition, available at sophos.com slash freemacav. Uh, just get a little plug in there, but uh, this is not a fix, folks. So just, uh, you know, it's good to clean up, but you're still vulnerable to have it repeatedly happen to you because you cannot patch. Uh, the Pentagon announced it's expanding a, a, a test pilot program that they had for sharing cyber threat information between the public sector or the, the government, the public sector and defense contractors. They had tested this out, I believe, with 32 defense contractors uh, over the last little bit saying when they were aware of specific types of attacks or certain types of poison documents or phishing attacks or this kind of information, they would share that information with these defense contractors and vice versa. I thought this was great news and, and it's kind of an interesting development because, uh, go ahead. Yeah, it brings up the idea of openness again, but at the same time, it's tied into what legislation actually doesn't exist yet about this, but it's a way of sort of like looking, okay, there aren't really any things or rules to govern by at this point, but now we're going to say, maybe we need to share what information we have. You guys have this information, so let's take a look and see what we have together and maybe even correlate something that way. Yeah, it's respectful sharing is what yeah. I like to think of it as, is because they keep trying to pass laws that have been quite controversial recently. The cybersecurity bill that Obama's been proposing um, would allow companies to share data with the government and vice versa without with impunity like they could yeah. share private information that would be normally legally restricted under privacy laws um and just openly share that with the government and the government you know crosses their two fingers together and promises and double dog swears that it won't use that information for anything else they'll only use it to protect us and that that's not really acceptable there's no reason just like this program that the pentagon can't share information with the private sector with defense contractors in the private sector and vice versa while still respecting the laws that are on the books, which is you don't probably need to share with the government every website I visited, if you're my ISP, to talk about fraud that you're seeing on your networks that may be targeting the government. You can very easily anonymize that data and make the useful part of it about the attack vector, the, the actors involved in the attack, and any kind of intelligence you have around the threat available without compromising my privacy as a customer of yours. And it sounds like that's exactly what they're doing. They don't need legislation. Yeah. Um, and so many of us in the business, uh, I know I'm on a rant now, but I mean, so many of us in the business have been talking so long that information sharing is absolutely essential. It just kills me uh, when folks like you and I have to work with customers and go into the lab and help investigate something bad that's happened to one of our customers. And then we're done with it and we're going, right, so this customer says we can't tell anyone else. Yeah. And we can't share this information with anyone else. So now we're going to watch every other customer in that that sector potentially fall on their face and have the same thing happen to them. And legally, we're kind of bound to not be able to do anything about it. So I'm hoping that maybe when Google's open about the Aurora attacks, if the Pentagon kind of templates this idea that we can safely and securely share information to better all of our security, maybe we can all start learning and feeling better and more comfortable with these processes and have our, you know, have our customers say, you know what, Sophos, it's okay for you to share 
our hacking experience with other people in the hospitality sector that you are, that are your customers or even, you know, you share that information with Symantec and McAfee so they can help protect their hospitality industry customers from having this type of an attack. But please don't mention our brand. Don't disclose any of our IP addresses, you know, the things that we should be doing if we want to do this safely and securely. Yeah, I mean, we take a look at what happened when we, we first started this podcast here. We talked about what happened in Texas. They disclosed what happened. And, you know, it's something we could learn from. And then Utah, it happened again. But, I mean, it's all to our mutual benefit. I mean, we're seeing all these attacks happen everywhere. So the idea of sharing at least that pertinent information, it's definitely something we should embrace. Well, yeah, and I, I'm sure with your experience and support and certainly my experience in my earlier days here at Sophos when I was much more involved in technical issues with products and things, we would hear the same thing, you know, echoing throughout the customer base. And as a result, that's one of the reasons we can provide such great support is that we're unfortunately familiar with what you've been through, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we always have these patterns that pop up. So I'm, I'm hoping these things forge some new roads forward. And unfortunately, um, the CIO in Utah didn't get the memo from the CIO in Texas, but I'm hoping maybe the other 48... Yeah, uh, have gotten the memo now, and and hopefully more than just CIOs and states. I mean, there's, uh, I think databases being left around by accident and being propped up temporarily by contractors are an unfortunately common circumstance. No, definitely. So last but not least, um, Nicole Mertzi, I, I believe is her name, uh, was sentenced to five years in prison as part of Operation Fish Fry. And I'm, I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of that, but I thought the conversation you and I had about this was actually more interesting than the actual story, perhaps around. Um, again, about this openness and figuring out how these things work and where the data, you know, uh, what the process of getting this data is. Uh, in this case, um, Nicole and her boyfriend were uh, recruiting cashers. So for folks that aren't familiar with the the banking fraud industry, typically what you do is you buy something like the Zeus toolkit um, and decide to infect, you know, infect uh, a few websites to get tens of thousands of victims to install a, a banking trojan that steals your login ID and password and things. And then after that happens... You're sitting there in Azerbaijan going, uh-oh, how am I going to get these $220 million I've got access to at Bank of America into my bank account here in, in a, you know, insert country here? Um, this is a problem, right? So you contact some other criminal through the underground and you go, well, hey, I need some cashers. I need some people to go to ATMs and withdraw money or I need people to go open up bank accounts at, in this case, Wells Fargo and Bank of America were the largest two uh, victims. Um, and so you contact someone and that's what Nicole's job was. Her and her boyfriend recruited these cashers, uh, people down on their luck that were willing to go open up some bank accounts uh, and commit fraud for them. And so they were they were all busted. And it's a fascinating indictment and very clever name. Thank you, FBI Operation Fish Fry um, <laughs> with a PH, a P-Hish Fry. And um, but what I thought was interesting is we often try to, again, share these stories and explain to people the money behind the malware, what's driving this criminal underground. But the stories always sound stale because like this incident, most of this happened in 2007. So yeah, five years ago. And we're just hearing about it, right? Yeah. And so I guess the question is, um, you know, what what can we do to, um, you know, open this dialogue up more to help get, get this information out there? Because I think when you look at, uh, as a law enforcement perspective, you look at the chain of events that had to occur for these guys to steal these the millions of dollars that they tried to steal. There's a lot to be learned there. There's all kinds of, of weak points in the way that they operate these criminal organizations. And I th I'd like to think that we are looking at this a lot more like, um, you know, traditional organized crime, right? The mob has to do certain things. They've yeah, got to hide the bodies. Has, yeah, they, someone has to carry this along here. Someone has to launder this. Someone, it, it all, it, this is all just normal patterns that we've seen before, but it's just like all digital now. And 
Right, and well, but the only way the money makes it all the way back to Azerbaijan is if all of those things go right. Yeah. Like the the press portray these things as we're all innocent victims and there hundreds of million and us uh, millions of us are being taken to the cleaners and there's nothing we can do about it. And we have to realize that just like when there's a hole in our defense, it only takes one hole for somebody to get in. The criminals have they're up against the exact same battle and I think these stories tell that really interestingly because they have to have everything go off without a hitch or they don't get a nickel either. Exactly. And as well, too, based on what the FBI noticed as well, too, uh, we were talking about that before, that they actually had been following them for a year, which was just fascinating because at that point they were sort of indicating everything that was happening about who was going to hear, what, you know, how did they meet these people, where was the drop, where was the, where were the cards issued and things like that. And it just reads just like a page turn, like a pulp novel. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's it's quite fascinating, and and it's good. I like the idea of criminals thinking that maybe we're chasing them or following them, and having them look over their shoulder all the time. Because unfortunately, in our circumstances, we often end up talking to victims more often that yeah. are nervous that, uh, well, gee, my social security number was just stolen in the state of Utah. Now I'm looking over my shoulder, wanting to know if somebody's trying to buy a new yacht using my identity. And it's nice to have these stories, I think, get some press and get out there and say, we're watching them too. Yeah. And uh, this is a two-way street. And in five years in prison for Nicole, I think her boyfriend will get more. He was labeled, uh, according to the indictment, as the kingpin, but I do not believe he's been sentenced yet. So uh, as this story continues to develop, I'll bring up the details here because I've been following this now. I noticed I wrote a story about this in October of 2009. Wow. So uh, I've got a little (laughs) bit invested in this one. So... Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Gary. And uh, as always, uh, this concludes Soft Security Chat Chat 91. For the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.softless.com. For all of our podcasts, you can get them at podcasts.softless.com on iTunes or via RSS. And I'll let Jack Daniel take us out this week. Until next time, stay secure.